Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. On this episode, I speak with Father Eusebius Martis, who is a monk of Marmion Abbey in Aurora, Illinois, and a former director of the Liturgical Institute. He recently wrote an article for us titled The Many Senses of the Liturgical Haptic, and I sat down with him to talk about this. It's all about how our earthly senses play a significant role in how we actively participate in the Mass. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Good morning, Father Martis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm here with you. Father Martis, you are the uh, former director of the Liturgical Institute, and I'm, of course, the current director of the Liturgical Institute. So this is a very good conversation that we're going to have between two people very involved with the Liturgical Institute. But um, more recently, you are a monk of Marmion Abbey in Aurora, Illinois, which, uh, you know, that's a place we both went to high school. And so uh, lots of connections between you and I. And there's a lot of, course, of history there, a lot of history, uh, even before we met, I would say. But we're here talking about this, uh, this great article for Otto Ramis uh, titled The Many Senses of the Liturgical Haptic. And I very much remember uh, the inception of this uh, article for Otto Ramis because you gave a presentation for our online study program on the figures of the liturgical movement. And you were just talking about some of these concepts. And I said, hey. Chris Carsons, you have to get Father Martis to write something like this for Adoramus Bulletin. And so I am very happy to be uh, a conduit of this article, <laughs> if I could say so. But I'm, I'm very fascinated by this concept and this idea. Um, if, you, if you talk to Chris Carsons, who's the, the editor of Adoramus Bulletin, he often talks a lot about how you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And so the way that we interact with the sacred signs and symbols of our earthly reality is a way that we can connect to God. He, we are designed this way to interact with these things. And so this concept of, of haptic, you know, like when you have your phone, you have haptic feedback. So you press a button and it vibrates. So, you know, that's confirmation that what you, what you did uh, digitally uh, actually happened. This is this is very important because it, it allows us in our humanity to to have actual, you know, confirmation, confirmation or feedback to what we're doing. So can I just ask you first, um, when, when you started thinking about this, what, what was the what was the beginning of this thought process for you before you, you know, were talking about this? Yeah, so it's it's uh, really kind of uh, interesting because uh, it's more or less a new uh, idea or a new reflection that I've been having. Uh, and it actually started uh, several years ago with the introduction into my spiritual life of the devotion or the chaplet to the holy face of Jesus. Because uh, the uh, essence of that devotion is a meditation on the passion of Christ from the perspective of, of the five senses. So during his passion, today's Thursday, right? Today is a Thursday. And generally on Thursdays, when I'm doing my meditation, I focus on the events of Holy Thursday, right? So I'm thinking, all right, at the last supper, what did Jesus feel in his body, right? So it's a meditation on the experience of Jesus in the passion through his 
senses. So what did he feel? There he is at the Last Supper, reclined at table. So, so in, the, in the Eastern world, reclining at table is very different from what we experience in the Anglo-Saxon world, where we're very prim and proper and sitting at a chair with our, uh, you know, our hands to our sides and no elbows on the table and so on. So in this posture of reclining at table, Jesus is kind of uh, experiencing the, the kind of dignity that comes to human beings by virtue of the way that we linger over a meal, right? This is, this is not a construction worker grabbing a sandwich from a food truck uh, once the noontime whistle blows. This is rather someone out of the dignity of his humanity relaxing, enjoying food and drink together in the company of friends. So in my meditation, I say, what's that like? What is it he's feeling physically in his body, whether it's, you know, whether it's the cushion that he's sitting on or the, the, the sense of the table or uh, brushing his hand up against the hand of the one who's dipping his morsel of food into the bowl at the same time. So from the perspective of touch, what did Jesus experience? What did he see? Right. So presumably he's uh, there in a, in a magnificent banquet room or a supper room. I'm not saying that it's particular needed to be particularly grandiose, but it's a special place, right? It's a, it's a place that was prepared specifically for this supper. Um, and of course he's seeing his disciples, right? The, the, the ones that he loves and cares about, the ones that he has spent the last several years of his life in the company of. Um, I don't know if you could hear the bell. Did you just hear the bell ring? I, no, I did not. But, so, uh, so, but I'm familiar having gone to school there. <laughs> right. And so, so right there's a haptic, right? It comes into my ears and reminds me that it's quarter past the hour. Um, so what did Jesus see? What did he hear? Right. So undoubtedly, he heard the chatter of his disciples, but he also heard the doubts that they had about them themselves when they were expressing whether they would be the ones to betray him or not. And so on. Um, what did he smell? Right. So, of course, there it's pretty easy, right, because you've got all of the fragrances of a meal that's prepared. And then, of course, what did he taste? Um, but if we, we take it further and say, well, well what did he hear? He also hear, heard uh, the, the, the songs that they were singing on the way to the Mount of Olives, right? The Psalms of praise and so on. So I started thinking about kind of the human sensual or sensory experience um, of Jesus during, you know, the, the, the last days of uh, his, his life. And then, uh, for some reason I started applying that to our liturgical experience. And one moment I described it in the article, uh, was especially poignant for me because I was in Sicily, um, at the, uh, an archeological site from, uh, the third century, the beginning of the third century. So right around the, 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 the time uh, of uh, Constantine, 
right? And the, the kind of liberation of the church from persecution. And a part of this archaeological dig was the reconstruction of the um, land owner, the villa owner's uh, uh, grand meeting hall, which in those days was called a basilica. It's not that the church was called a basilica first and then they applied it to the meeting hall, but the church adapted the language of the meeting hall to describe the places where she, where she would meet with the, the, the faithful to encounter uh, the mystery of God, right? So all of a sudden I'm standing in the middle of this floor and it became evident to me how it was that the structure itself, the openness of it, the wideness of it, the height of the ceiling, um, the, 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 um, the, the uh, auditorium quality of it all came together for me. And I said, I can understand precisely now being in this context, why it is that the church chose this kind of architecture. So what is it, what, what is, uh, what does it benefit us to understand that the heavenly reality through these, through our earthly senses, what, why is it that way instead of just, Oh, we get to just all, all, constantly see, you know, things that are divine that we can't even perceive with our senses that we just automatically chalk up to being a mystery or something like that. Why is it important that we have that uh, connection that with, through our earthly senses? Well, because there is no other way for us to experience the divine, right? Creation itself is the visible or perceptible. I, I like to use the term perceptible because it's not just what we see, right? It's, but it's what we experience through all of our senses. So it's the perceptible sign. Creation is the perceptible sign of God's love for us. So the haptic, as well as the liturgical experience, it all boils down to the mystery of the incarnation, right? In the, in the great history of salvation, God creates the world precisely to share the love of tr the Trinity with humanity, right? So creation is that first expression of God's love. But then as time goes on through the history of salvation, God manifests himself in a more um, in the ultimate way, really, which is, it's, which is uh, in the mystery of the incarnation, God taking on human flesh precisely to be Emmanuel, to be among us. So this is the only way, at least on this side uh, of the great divide, that we can experience what the mystery of God is like, right? So our human senses, our natural senses, help us to be in contact with the supernatural, right? That we cannot on our own ever really experience. Especially when you were talking about the holy face of, of Christ, it made me think of the Ignatian spiritual exercises. I mean, that's got to be part of that too, where you're trying to really immerse yourself into that experience. And so my question there is, um, what, what's the difference between, you know, passive, I guess, and active or intentional, uh, haptic relationship, right? So we have the, we have things in the liturgy where things happen and we perceive them, right? They, they happen externally and then we perceive them, but then there are 
other ways by which we can, again, like you mentioned, these meditations and immersing ourselves and adding that extra layer uh, through our other senses and through our intellectual being. What can you tell me like the difference between those two and kind of where they would lie maybe in the liturgy? Sure. Um, so one of the things that I hope uh, is accomplished by the article is an understanding that what, what we're talking about in terms of the haptic experience is already present, right? I want to make it absolutely clear that I am not suggesting that we invent anything new. Everything that I talk about in the article already exists, is already written into a way in, into, into the rituals of the church, all right? So they're not contrived, right? They're natural expressions of these fundamentally supernatural realities. All right. So the deliberate kind of measured reflection on them or the meditation that I'm suggesting is a way of training ourselves so that we become more aware of them in the context of the liturgy as we're praying through it. Right. So, again, I'm not suggesting that at the beginning of every liturgy or during every liturgy, somebody get up and say, hey, everybody notice. Now, here we are getting ready to celebrate the sacrament of baptism and we're standing at the door of the church. Gee, scratch the head. I wonder why it is that we're standing at the door of the church. What does it symbolize or signify that we're standing here at the door of the church? Right. No, that's that's not the idea. The, The idea is that we come to it already with an awareness of the significance of the various loci in the church, the various places, the various uh, symbols that are used. This is why liturgical catechesis is essential as a prelude to the liturgical experience. And then after the liturgical experience, what the tradition has called mystagogy, becomes important too, because then once we've had the experience with a little bit of knowledge and when you, when the experience is done, you're enriched by what it is that you've experienced. And by reflecting on what you've experienced, you're enriched even more. Right. So, so there's this kind of constant movement, active participation doesn't, doesn't, as I like to say, doesn't mean that you have to sing every verse of every song at the top of your lungs every time. Right. It's, it's much more um, subtle than that. Right. It's, it's actual it's, participation. It's actual participation. It's, it's the, the sensing of the other people who are there as part of Christ's mystical body, worshiping together, joined together precisely to worship in Christ, through Christ and with Christ. Right. Um, so. In, in, in the way that uh, sacramental theology has been taught forever, really, and even since the council, um, most courses that I've seen settle for the mere expression of the sacramental, uh, sacramental efficacy as, as long as the minister says what the church says with the intention of doing what the church does, uses the proper matter and form, then the sacrament works. All right. I'm not disputing that. Okay. It's true, but that's only one aspect 
of the sacramental mystery. The other aspect is what historically we've called ex opere operantis, which, which includes the haptic and all of the different ways that, that we are rendered uh, receptive to the grace that God offers. You, you might recall this, the Baltimore Catechism says it, um, St. Augustine said it. There's a difference between the sacrament, the Eucharist, for example, and the grace that's received. Some people receive the, the, the Eucharist to their damnation, while others receive it and receive the grace, the life of Christ, the life of God that, that's brought with it. That, that brings me to my, my last real question about all of this, because I, I think you framed all of this very nicely. But I think where this gets complicated for people is the difference between our intellectual nature and our affective nature. Right. And so my concern is, I, is that maybe we're giving false feedback. Right. So I like and this is true. I actually really like praise and worship music. I think I get a specific type of reaction and feeling when I hear that. And I have a, an emotional connection and it makes me feel good. And I really enjoy it. Now, if we take that and put that into the liturgy and well, well, you know, that makes me feel good. I have that feedback. I have that sensory uh, reaction there. So that must have a place in liturgy, right? So that's, you and I both know that's not true necessarily, but I know that we can get, you know, quote unquote, like our wires <laughs> crossed a little bit sometimes. So can you walk me through the difference between, you know, really intellectually understanding these things versus just a raw emotional reaction to some of this stuff? Cause I do think there, the nuance there is important. Yeah, so, um, uh, and, and it might sound uh, strange to hear me say it, but I kind of shy away from the language of intellectual um, experience, right? And, and the reason for that is not because the intellect isn't engaged, but because I, I fear that that can lead to the impression that what we're experiencing is, is all going on in our head. You know, to quote Professor Harold Hill from The Music Man, that it's the think method. And that's not at all what I'm suggesting. Right. Catholic theology has taught us for centuries now that what we know comes to us through our senses. Right. So so the the, the sensory world and are paying attention to what comes to us through our senses is absolutely essential for the sacramental experience and the liturgical experience. But you've got, you've got to be feeding your senses with the things that the liturgy herself has proposed to us. And again, I'm, I have no problem with uh, praise and uh, praise and uh, praise and praise, worship. praise and worship music. <laughs> you, you like the uh, praise part. I'm, the worship. Not, it's, it's, not, you don't care about the worship part. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's, it's it's not part of my 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 daily repertoire. But I understand that some people like it, and that, that's great, right? Um, but of course, all of these things have to be in their proper place, right? So notice that I was very specific about paying attention to what it is that the church herself gives us in the liturgy. Because sometimes um, nourishing um, our experience of liturgy with um, 
elements that aren't actually there can actually mislead us. So if we take the example of, of uh, the sacramental rites that begin at the door of the church, and there are many, right? In the article, I mentioned baptism, marriage, and funerals, but, but the rite of dedication of a church begins at the door of the church as well. Um, and the, the, the reception of a bishop to a diocese begins at the door of the, the church, right? So, um, so it's, important, it's important that we keep those things in mind. If for the sake of pragmatism, you, you discount those sacramental significant places, the door of the church, and instead line your um, children up for baptism in the front pew, because it's a lot more convenient and so on, less messy, um, more practical and so on, you deprive the faithful of all of the significance of what happens there at the door of the church throughout the, the spiritual life of, a, of, an, of any person, right? And in the spiritual life of the church. So it, is, it, is it easier? Is it better? Is it more helpful to have everybody lined up in, in the front pew? Uh, maybe, but, but it seems to me that the, that the sacramental life of the church is not based on pragmatism, but on, sec, on sacramental significance. So the same is true when it comes to something like the music that we use uh, during worship. If you want to have a worship service where uh, I remember when I was in college, we used to have uh, you know, Friday nights or Thursday nights, a group of us to, would get together and we would just sing our hearts out. Right. It wasn't in the context of mass. It wasn't in the context of divine office. It was just, we were just getting together and we were praising the Lord. Right. That's fine. That's great. But the liturgical act, especially at Mass and the other sacramental celebrations, has a different aim. And that aim is expressed to us through the music that the, that the church herself chooses for those liturgical expressions. And so if you don't use them, you deprive yourself of the richness that the church has to offer. Another example would be uh, some places yeah, this will be my next uh, Autoramus Bulletin article, I think. Ooh. Um, uh, it, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking hot, anyway. Yeah, we got a hot lead here. A scoop. It's a scoop for you. That um, people misunderstand what variety is in the church. They think that, okay, we have seven days in a week, so every day of the week we're going to do something different. But that's not the way that the church celebrates variety. Uh, for example, uh, it's, it's my classic example. If you look at the... Uh, official edition of Compline, of night prayer that the church has, there are only three hymn texts for the entire liturgical year, one of which is only sung on Pentecost, which leaves you two texts for the entire liturgical year with the exception of Pentecost. Well, you could say, oh, it's always the same song. It's awfully boring. But the church doesn't want you to see it as boring. The church wants you to be formed by that particular text. And the variety in it comes through the, the, the phenomenon, if you will, of progressive solemnity. Because those three texts have 18 different hymn tunes. So you go from something that's a, that's a very simple tune that you might sing 
on most nights, uh, what we call ferial days, to something a little bit more sophisticated that you would sing on a memorial, something uh, even better that you would sing on a feast day, and it's something different that you'd sing on a solemnity. That's how the church herself shows variety, right? And it's not an arbitrary thing, but it's actually connected with the liturgical day and the liturgical season. So I, I like the yeah, only, I like the, I'm sorry. The, the, the only way for us to be formed in that is to actually do it. Right. And so that's, that's, that's what the haptic article tries to get at. If you want to understand what the church means when she prays, the only way to do it, you can't even do it in a classroom. The only way to do it is to actually do what the church has given us. I like that. And, and there's, there's tons of other examples. You know, you go to a birthday party and you, you light the candles on the cake and then all of a sudden everybody sings uh, the Star Spangled Banner. And then you say, wait, what? Wait, what? What's going, what's going on? No. There's a time and place for that. And you may really like that song and you may really feel connected and patriotic at that point in your life. But that's not proper to what's actually happening in, in our reality. And so, um, so I, I love that making sure that, you know, we're well informed and it's not, I, I wasn't trying to pin you down to an, an either or type of situation because yeah. I think it's a both and, but, but it also has to be informed um, by the church as well. So uh, father, thank you so much for your time here. I, I absolutely love talking about this and uh, look forward to the, the next article that you plan on writing for Adoramus. And uh, thank you for your time. God bless. Okay. Thanks. Say a prayer.